morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, and some of you might, you saw Nate, who, it's good that you weren't so focused on your title that you couldn't remember it. And Jesus has much to say about that as well, so you modeled well for us, Nate, thanks. Um, if you don't know who our elders are, they're going to be doing announcements and stuff during sabbatical, so some of you know them very well, but if you're newer to our church, you'll, 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 you'll have an idea, and you can always ask somebody uh, I am grateful for your prayers. I'm with you next week outside, and then never been on sabbatical before, so I'm eager. Uh, I love that last song. I've never sang that song before. That last song we just sang, though. We'll even talk a little bit about that, but I am a lover of the presence of God, and that's where I plan on being. Where's Jeff on sabbatical? He's hanging in the presence of God. That's where he is. Um, so we are, honestly, this the passage this morning almost preaches itself. Like, I feel like I could just read it and we would be done. Um, but I have a few things that I'll, I'll talk about. Why not? I'm a pastor. I like to talk. Uh, we are in ordinary time, so our graphic has turned to green. Perfect timing, too. Next week, I've arranged when we're outside, the scenery will be green for you as well out there. We're in ordinary time. That's the season we are in the church calendar uh, if you get our Friday emails, I wrote in there that it's ordinary because what we've just walked through, where we've really leaned into the extraordinary events of the life of Jesus, his birth, uh, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's pretty extraordinary. And uh, just his crucifixion, his resurrection, we've been talking about his ascension and Pentecost. These are extraordinary. But now we're going to be leaning into kind of the... The, we would maybe say the ordinary ministry of Jesus, his teachings, just some stories about him. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, and the ordinary time of the church calendar is really the longest time of the church calendar. And we're, we're kind of worked through the life of Jesus. But some of that is because we live so much of our life in the ordinary. <laughs> and actually, I think all of us would be more fulfilled and satisfied if we could find peace and purpose in the ordinariness of our day-to-day, -day, right? We're always grasping for more. What if, what if everything you need is already present to you within the ordinariness of life? So that's some of what we'll be leaning into as we go through the church calendar, but we're in Luke chapter 7 this morning. I'm telling you this story. I mean, I've read this story before, but sitting with it all week, I just, it's a story. I mean, it is, it is, and we'll talk, it's so, it's encouraging and comforting, and could this be true, Jesus? And it's so challenging. I mean, depending, we'll talk about our inner Pharisee this morning, but depending on where you're at this morning, it might be incomprehensible, and I mean, it might even be offensive. Um, if your inner Pharisee is really loud this morning, I'll talk about my inner Pharisee, but this kind of stuff is offensive to our inner Pharisee. Luke 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees, this is, there's three main characters in our story. The first one we're interested, and it's important, I'll talk about it, it's important. Luke is masterful. I love looking at how these gospel writers put these stories together. We're introduced to our first character, it's a Pharisee, we just know him as one of the Pharisees. It's a lot to that. He asked Jesus, of course, Jesus is always the center of our story here at Crossview. He asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and they sat down to eat. Third person in the story. 
When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that Jesus was eating there, so it presupposes she already knows something about Jesus. We'll talk about that. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She had heard the good news that Jesus was proclaiming as he enacted the kingdom of God. And she came to respond to his lavish love and forgiveness. She knelt behind him at his feet. She begins weeping. Her tears are falling on his feet. She didn't bring a towel to wipe his feet, so she uses her hair. Very awkward moment, very outside of what would have normally have been expected, but she didn't care. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. She didn't know what else to do. She was a lover of the presence of Jesus, right? And when, again, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this is part of the irony, just get into the story of what Luke is doing. He sees this and he says to himself in his head, in his mind, he's speaking to himself, if this man of Jesus were really a prophet, I'm not sure, but if he was, he would know. He would know that this person, this woman touching his feet, she's a sinner. That's what he sees when he sees this woman. He sees a sinner. Now here's the irony. Simon, well, I'm sorry, we haven't got, the the Pharisee, we'll talk about he's into labeling and categorizing. All he can see is a, a false prophet and a sinner. But the irony is that Jesus is the truest prophet there's ever been, right? I love how Luke does this. Verse 40, and then Jesus answered his thoughts. (laughs) The Pharisee has judged wrongly already. He's going to judge wrongly all the way through. And now we know, okay, now Jesus is moving us because what Jesus is always, Jesus is always loving everyone he comes in contact with. So here's this man, we only know him as, as a Pharisee, but now we know his name is Simon and we don't know it until Jesus speaks. Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher or rabbi. Jesus told him this story, a little mini parable, very straightforward. Jesus has an obvious point in telling the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both. And here, the way Jesus is explaining it is forgiving means canceling their debt. And then Jesus, I told you, he loves asking questions. He looks at Simon. He's trying to help Simon. He's inviting Simon to take a step into the kingdom of God. Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? What a question. Now, Simon doesn't want to answer the question He's because it's, it's, it's disorienting him. It's making him think differently. And you can even just tell, by the way, well, I suppose. Well, it's obvious. Well, I suppose. I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus says that's right. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We've been doing it for the last year. I told you four of my professors were on the translating team. But it doesn't mean I have to like everything every translation does. So I like the New Living Translation. It's been helpful. But this is one of the places where, oh, I would have done it different. Who am I? I don't know. But I would have. And if you have a different translation in front of you, you will see it doesn't say, look at this woman. It's a question. You know I love questions. And if you have a different translation in front of you, Jesus looks at this woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? Oh, I like that question. 
What do you mean? Of course, she's right. Do you see her? Do you see a label? Do you see a category? Or do you see a human being? What do you see, Simon? And then Jesus is like totally turning things upside down. So we're kind of having to guess, and I read different authors have different approaches. I'll just give you my humble opinion, though. There probably are a couple different views, but is Simon somebody who's like all in on learning about Jesus? I don't think so, but, I, but, but some people think he's actually trying to humiliate Jesus because Jesus is a rabbi, and we're about to read that Simon did not give Jesus the common courtesies that you would give to a visiting rabbi. I tend to think, and again, I don't know, we're just kind of entering the story, but I almost read this like if you know about Nicodemus going to visit Jesus at night. I almost feel like Simon is curious, he's curious, he's not sure obviously, well clearly he's not afraid, he's not sure, he's got questions, but he's curious enough to bring Jesus into his home, but he's got other Pharisee friends around and he doesn't want them to think he's endorsing this prophet or, or could be prophet. We're trying to get in the story, but there's something going on in Simon's life. But he's, he, he, he's, he's definitely kept Jesus at a bit of an arm's length distance. You can come into my house, but Jesus is going to tell us what happened. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. Common courtesy. But this woman has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. That would have been common. Kind of kiss the cheeks. But from the, first time I, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the common courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. So Jesus is totally turning the tables on this man. And then Jesus says this, I tell you her sins, and they are many. They are. They've been forgiven. (laughs) So she has shown me much love. If you know you've been forgiven much, you will love much. That's the natural response, gratitude to grace. But a person who is forgiven little or, I mean, it's part of the irony here, right? Or thinks they've only been forgiven little, right? It's kind of coming at Simon. They show little love. I mean, it's just, it was pretty in his face. I mean, Jesus couldn't be more like, it's pretty in his face. And Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven good news. (laughs) And then there's other men around the table, and they say, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Now, I think there's a dual way of reading this. As as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, this is always an invitation for us. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? Who else can do this? But there's also, I told you a little bit of this, like with the Pharisees, who's this man think he is? How dare this man presume to be able to forgive sins? Only God does that. That does not happen at tables. That only happens at the temple. Who does this guy think he is? They're offended. This is the story that we're being invited into. In verse 50, I'll come back to this at the very end because I I think there's a call to the church in verse 50 that I am excited to end this sermon with. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. All right, so let's walk through this. Again, depending on how you read this, upon first reading, it looks almost like a story about a sinful woman in the presence of two religious leaders, a rabbi and a Pharisee. 
But the way one of these men sees requires him to categorically exclude this sinful woman. And the way the other man sees, again, they're operating through different lenses, compels him to receive this sinful woman, acknowledge her, see her, and forgive her. So two very different religious leaders. So maybe the better way, I think the better way, the genius of the story and the way Luke is telling it, you know, inviting you in and kind of turning the tables, is it's really a story about two sinners in the presence of Jesus. That's what it's about. And again, I love, we talk about discipleship and learning from Jesus, how to live like Jesus. What is this way of love that we are still learning every day from Jesus? I love the way Jesus loves everybody around him. He just enters a room. He doesn't he just, he just loves. And he'll calibrate grace and truth in terms of how he interacts, but he's just incredible how he does it. Let's talk a little bit about the Pharisees here. The Pharisees were, I could talk more about this, but, but they were a Jewish group. They, they were not priests. They were, they were, I mean, the word Pharisee, you could say, is a, is a, is a label. It's a self-identifying label. I am a part of this group. And I, I think you're aware enough to see this even at work in our own culture today. But you got to be careful with group labels, right? Because sometimes when you adopt, you self-adopt a group label, you then learn that you have to live up or down to the expectations of the group. That's why if you've ever self-identified with the wrong groups, you learn this because you learn You're not allowed to love certain people if you're a part of this group. And you're told who you have to hate if you're a part of this group. You you, you feel the pressure of the group to see the way the group sees. What is that, group think? We love to put labels on ourselves, and we love to put labels on others. And I think one of the reasons Jesus is constantly pushing back at the Pharisees is because their group think, their labels is limiting, it's constricting their hearts, (laughs) and it's limiting their capacity to truly see as Jesus sees. Now, why is this Pharisee so worked up about this woman? There's there's a lot to, I mean, the Pharisees aren't, aren't, I mean, there's a lot to like about them. I mean, their movement, this group thing, their movement was, we want to see God move in Israel, We're still under Roman oppression. We would like Israel to be ruling over Rome instead of being ruled by Rome. But we're very aware that we've rebelled and we're sinners and we understand all that. And so you could almost call the Pharisees, they were were trying to lead a holiness movement. And they believed if 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 we could get Israel to be morally holy and follow all of our laws and be obedient to the ways that we see things, then God will move and bless us. So, so seeing a woman, an immoral woman like this, a sinner, I mean, she's the problem, you understand, in this Pharisee's eyes. She's why God's not moving and blessing us. She's what's holding us down. Again, they, and this is where Jesus begins to tell parable after parable after parable to the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they do not understand God's economy of grace. They don't understand. They lack an understanding of the love of God. And so much of the drama of the story revolves around how this Pharisee will respond to grace. 
He doesn't see well. He clearly doesn't, and I think primarily he doesn't see Jesus well. And once you begin to see Jesus, then you can see everything else. <laughs> and so he's, he's struggling. What I, what I wanted to do this morning is spend a little time, as I talked about at the beginning, I want to lean a little bit into our inner Pharisee. I think we all have an inner Pharisee. I was doing a marriage retreat a couple, maybe a couple months ago. Kami and I were doing it together, and we were on the last day. We had been talking about the love of God and God's relationship, His covenant with His people, with us. And so I do think that's the ultimate blueprint for a healthy marriage. And so what does God's love look like in his relationship with us? And then if we're married, how do we bring that into our marriage? How do we love as God has loved us? So it was good. I don't know if we did three or four sessions, but each session we got to know the people we were, Kimmy and I got to know people we were teaching a little bit more and more and more. In the last session, we get to the Q&A time. And uh, just lots of really good, I mean, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was so rewarding for me as a teacher to hear the questions because I'm like, you're getting it. You're understanding, you're seeing. And some of them are seeing things they've never seen before. It's just it's so fun when you get to be a part of that. And one of these guys who knew some of the people in the room, but not all of them, I mean, it's a pretty good sized room of people. And this older guy, I've been married for a while, raises his hand and he's a verbal processor, which I love because I'm a verbal processor. And he's just kind of thinking out loud about some of the things that we've been discussing. And he pauses. And he says in front of this whole room, Jeff, I think I'm a Pharisee. I think I've been a Pharisee in our marriage. I don't want to be a Pharisee. <laughs> and I almost didn't know what to say because usually if you're a Pharisee, you don't know you're a Pharisee. That's part of the problem. You're spiritually blind. That's what comes up again and again in the Gospels. And I even just had a moment to celebrate with this guy that the, the vulnerability, the honesty, the awareness that the kingdom of God was opening his eyes. He wasn't blind anymore and what it could mean for him and for his marriage and for their church. But after leaving that, I, I just, that, that, that image, I can, I can picture him. And, and, and this is what happens, right? Vulnerability and honesty can be contagious. And, and to see him confess that he's a Pharisee, I've been all, all right, I, I think I need to do some work. Because I know, I know I have an inner Pharisee. I think we all have an inner Pharisee. Some of our inner Pharisees are louder than others, but I think we all have them. I want to spend a little time talking about our inner Pharisees. I'll talk about me. I think there's a variety of ways we could talk about it, but it just seems easier to talk about me, and then you can either identify with me or let the Holy Spirit take you a little bit farther down other roads. But I, I spent some time thinking about this. The inner Pharisee in me loves to categorize and figure things out. And if I'm not paying attention, the inner Pharisee in me loves to figure out who deserves what and how much they deserve. And when I'm really not paying attention, I get all caught up in the who deserves what and how much. And it usually ends with how much I deserve. Right? That's when I really know it's the inner Pharisee. I'm, I'm, I'm start looking at but it, but I, and it, and it always is. I mean, I, I know because I can... If I, 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 could, I could be really honest and vulnerable with you right now, another day, I won't do it right now, it'll take too long, but legitimate relationships in my life where my focusing on what I deserve, how does that person have that, how I deserve, how that limits my capacity, constricts my heart, <laughs> limits my capacity for love. I constantly want to prove myself. I want to, I want to prove why I'm worthy. Jesus, don't you see 
I'll talk about this, but I'm, I'm an all-in disciple, Jesus. I'm 24-7. Don't you see what I deserve? Don't you see the time I'm putting in? I'm all in, Jesus. I feel like Peter. I always feel like I'm in good company with Peter. Hard lessons to learn the hard way. And this is why Jesus is such a challenge to my inner Pharisee. And as I said at the beginning, may even be offensive depending on how loud your inner Pharisee is. Because as this story tells, with Jesus, people didn't have to prove themselves worthy. And our inner Pharisee doesn't like that. People didn't have to come to Jesus and make their cases on why they're deserving of the kingdom. You read through gospel story after gospel story, and all people have to do is be near Jesus. I mean, literally, one woman just touches the hem of his robe, forgiven, healed, put back together, blessed, and seen. And that's what begins to drive me crazy. There's, there's no requirements, it seems, sometimes. There's no proving that you deserve this. And my inner Pharisee wants to resist this. And again, I think it's because, because I'm a 24-7 follower of Jesus. I mean, most of you are. Some of you may be visiting, but most of you are too. I know our church. We take this disciple thing really seriously. And so if we tap into our inner Pharisee and we read the story, wait, 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 this, this immoral woman who's thrown her life away, shows up and she gets blessed by Jesus? What? What? And my inner Pharisee does not like that. I'm guessing I'm not alone in the room. If this woman is getting blessed by Jesus, maybe even it seems the same blessing as the all-in 24-7 followers of Jesus, it doesn't seem fair. A sinner blessed by Jesus. And if I'm honest, no matter how much I know about the grace and mercy of God, sometimes this inner Pharisee in me just wants to resist it. Even though parable after parable after parable, Jesus is saying, don't you get it? I still, I still, like I know, I know that you entered the kingdom only by grace. But the inner Pharisee in me wants to say, well, once you're in though, you got to keep proving you, you deserve it. You got to keep proving you deserve. You got to keep. No, it's always grace from beginning to end. And that's either going to be incomprehensible to you or offensive, or it's going to sound like the best news you've ever heard. It might begin to sound like a treasure that you've discovered in a field and you'd sell everything by the field because you just want to have the treasure, right? Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to this Pharisee in the story. He's speaking to our inner Pharisee. And I love, I mean, again, I try to point this out, but as Luke is telling the story, there's a Pharisee, a certain Pharisee, one of the Pharisees, and then Jesus speaks, Simon. <laughs> okay, Simon, get rid of the label. Get rid of your self-label that's impacting how you view yourself. And get rid of the group think of the Pharisees that is impacting how you see me, Jesus is saying. And you see this woman. I don't want to talk to a Pharisee. I want to talk to Simon. Simon, can you hear me? Simon, are you in there? Simon, can you let your guard down just enough 
so that you can maybe see that, yes, this woman's been forgiven much, but actually you have too. <laughs> He's trying to help, trying to help Simon find life. He's trying to teach the economy of grace. So many of Jesus' parables do this. They, I mean, if you're really reading the parables, they should disorient you because the way the world currently is does not operate the way the kingdom of God does. And so we should encounter these stories. Whoa, God's like that. I gotta re this is what repent. I gotta rethink everything. Oh, I gotta re I gotta repent. I gotta rethink. And I don't even know that I like all of this. Well, that's okay, be honest, but this is who Jesus is. And if you like Jesus, I promise you, you will you will realize the beauty of his kingdom. Jesus asked, Do you see this woman? Simon had not seen the woman. He saw a category, he saw a sinner, he saw a label, he saw a prostitute. But Jesus sees this woman, this, this person, and he's trying to help. He's loving Simon, trying to help Simon see this woman. Jesus asked lots of questions, so I've been asking myself questions, trying to diagnose, if you will, my own inner Pharisee. Where are my limits of love popping around. And one of the questions I've been just wrestling with this week, uh, it's been important for me. It's an important question for me. Uh, am I only doing this discipleship thing? Because I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the. But am, am I only doing this because I think it makes me more deserving? Am I, am I only doing this disciple? In other words, it's, a, it's an important question. Am I only doing this discipleship thing for what's in it for me? Now, do I think there's a lot in it for me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe in a God who is love, who created everything, and I believe that he has a design for everything, and I believe that if I go with the design of his love, I'm going with the grain of love, right? You ever run your hand on the grain of wood? I want to go with the grain of love because that's how God is. I, I do think there's a lot in it for me, and I know because I've lived long enough to go against the grain, against God's design, and I know what happens. I don't want that. But I still have to pause and ask my, myself because it's an important question. Am I only in this for what's in it for me? Because if I am, it's going to be really hard for me to love my neighbor. And so I've been asking myself this question. And, and, I, and, I, and I really, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be self-serving in saying this. And I, I, this should be good news since I'm a pastor here. But I really am in this just because of Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. I, I'm 24-7 all in on Jesus, whether there's blessing in it for me or not. Now, will there be blessing? I think there will. <laughs> but that's not why I'm in it. I'm in it because I don't know anyone like Jesus Christ. Because everything I'm looking for, I find in the person of Jesus Christ. Because no one has taught me a more beautiful, compelling vision of what it means to be human than Jesus Christ. Because nobody has been there for me and understood me when I needed it most better than Jesus Christ. No one has spoke words of, of encouragement, of life, of healing into my soul louder and more strongly than Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm all in on Jesus. Whether it seems like I'm experiencing, and whether it looks like somebody who's been on the outskirts forever is getting blessed by Jesus. I want to silence that inner Pharisee. Like, oh, come on, that's great. You're being blessed by Jesus too. He's great. I trust him. That's awesome. Let's do this. And we got we to question, we got to challenge the inner Pharisee. That's why I love this story. Because the woman then gives us such a compelling vision, right? Because she understands this is not cheap grace. 
I mean, she comes in. It is, I mean, it is, she, it's a dangerous place she puts herself in. It's embarrassing. It's awkward. But she's in tears. She's so vulnerable. But she just doesn't care. She's so enthralled with Jesus. <laughs> Crying, expensive perfume, wiping with her hair. I mean, I try to imagine, I'll just say my wife, wiping dirty feet with her hair. Poor woman, right? But she's so enthralled in Jesus. Where else is she going to be? Her response is not to cheap grace. She knows that the gift that she's been given comes with responsibility, and she is transformed. And because she's been forgiven much, she now knows. Her heart has grown, and she's ready to love much. It starts by loving Jesus. But I think it'll spread by loving her neighbor. Again, um, well, this is what I want to say. She's, she's not a lost cause. I think if we were to enter deeper into this story, this woman thought her life was over. I think she very well knew she deserved nothing. And then she heard this message from Jesus that her sins could be forgiven and she could have new life. You mean I have another chance? You have another chance to live. I get another chance? I'm going to live it well this time. And if you're the one who's given me this gift, I want to learn from you. I want to be like you. There's no better way to live. I, th- I think that's happening in her story. And then we want to talk a little bit about Jesus here. I could say more about this, but you, you can't miss the point that Jesus is the one who is issuing the forgiveness of sins. That's why verse 49, these guys are worked up. Again, Jesus in his ministry is, is taking what would happen at the temple and doing it around the table, which I think is a, an example for the church. I think he's teaching us something there. But he's doing what, and, and he's the one doing it. I've shared this example before, but it'd be, like, it'd be like you wanting to go get a new driver's license, but you don't want to go mess with the DMV, and I'd be like, oh, I can do that for you. Wait, I thought I'd go, no, I can do that for you. That's kind of what Jesus is doing with this forgiveness of sins. You don't have to go to the temple. I'll do that for you. No, you can't, I got to go to the temple. No, I'll do that for you. Because Jesus is the expression of God, the heart of God. He is fully God in human flesh. That's who Jesus Christ is. And I told you I want to end with verse 50. This, this, your faith has saved you, has healed you. Go in peace. I told you it's a call to the church. What do I mean by that? Well, I think it's an interesting question to ask, where is this woman supposed to go? It's pretty obvious what all the people in her town are going to think of her. We already see that. There's a pretty good chance that everybody in her town or village is going to see her the way Simon the Pharisee sees her. So where is she going to go? I really see in verse 50 a call from Jesus to the church to be that place. That place of forgiven sinners who have been forgiven much, so we love much. <laughs> 70 times 7, right? Yes. We're forgiven much, so we love much. I want, to, I want Crossview to be that kind of community. And I actually think, you know, we like to talk about evangelism because we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to God, right? He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to life. We, we believe that. And, and so, so we want to share this message. I, I actually believe our neighbors, we live in a hurting world right now. 
And people are struggling and they're looking to so many different things to try to satisfy them and fulfill them. And most of those things aren't giving any semblance of what they're looking for. And I think, I mean, I'm not a doomsday kind of guy, but I do think things are getting... Things are getting interestingly bad in my lifetime, I'll say that. But as a Christian, I'm not flipping out, I'm not freaking out, I'm not afraid, because God is still God. We talked about this, Jesus is Lord. And as somebody who wants to live with purpose, I think there is such opportunity for us as the church. There's such opportunity for us to be a healing place for people who, again, awaken to the grace of God. And understand, this is not cheap grace. It comes with responsibility. God does have a calling on my life, and I want to learn about this life, but where do I go to learn? Where do I go where, you know, we talk about here at Crossview, come as you are, but don't stay where you are. Where can I go if I've ruined my life? Where can I go? Well, come to church. You can go other places. I don't know that it'll really be helpful. Come to church. You can bring hurting people to church. And across you, we're going to be the kind of people where, yeah, we've, we're aware of our inner Pharisee, but we're even more aware of Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. And so we want to be the place. Jesus says, go in peace. We want to be the place that people go. Maybe we bring them with us. And we want to, we want to it's, going to, it's hard. It's not easy. Being a 24-7 follower of Jesus is not easy. But it's Jesus. Where else would you want to be, right? It's Jesus. So I think that's the call Jesus has for, for, for me. I think it's for our church. And I want to pray into that a little bit. Pray, pray into our inner Pharisee. Pray into Crossview a little bit, being that kind of place. That we would be a true community of the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, um, yeah, first I do want to pray into our inner Pharisee. Uh, I, I think sometimes it takes courage for us to be honest about our inner Pharisee. I think every single one of us in this room has it. <laughs> uh, for some of us, that voice is louder than others. But, um, and maybe we even begin to tap into our inner Pharisee by just being honest about our response to the passage this morning. <laughs> I mean, are we, is it, does it, do we not understand the grace of God? I think it's okay. But just ask. If you don't understand the grace of God, ask Jesus to explain it. He will. Uh, come talk to me after the service. I would love to talk to you about the grace of God. Maybe you're offended by the grace of God. You're not the first person. But now you're ready to meet with Jesus. If you can be honest about that. Now, Jesus, we do want to be honest about our inner Pharisee, and we want to let him, we want to let him or her go because we do not want to be constricted in love. And what we really want is to be like this woman. We sang it. We want to live it. We want to be lovers of your presence. Lovers of your presence. I'm just so excited. Just honest. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe we just do a healthy practice of confessing our sins so we can remind ourselves of how much we've been forgiven. And maybe that's our gateway to learn to love even more. And then, Jesus, would you stir? I think you are stirring. I know you are stirring. Holy Spirit, you are moving in our church. But I think when you send a woman like this go in peace, you have the church in mind as to where you're sending her. Let us be that church. There's some men and some women waking up right now around DeKalb County. 
Maybe they're hearing your voice afresh, but they don't know where to go. Well, if they come here, Jesus, send them here. And would we love them well? Maybe we bring them with us. Would we be a church that understands we've been forgiven much, and so we are ready to love much? What a privilege, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.